Hey everybody, welcome back to Podcast of the Galactic Heroes. Uh, we're here doing Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex Second Gig, episodes 10, 11, and 12. Nailed it. Yes. I got it. Got finally. It right Holy smokes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we have two episodes that are... Mm, not really fluff at all. Like they're like pretty big backstory building episodes. One of them in particular, mm-hmm. and then, and then the and then the plot. Oh, yeah, the shit plot hits like the fan. Me. Always, hey, what's good? It's, it's me, the plot. Episode. It's my episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always that one. I yeah. actually like. The I other- regret. I regret, I regret to inform you this anime is paced exactly to screw over Serene as much as possible. <laughs> yeah, I actually like the first two episodes, um, even though they are kind they're not fluff because they do have plot stuff in it, but like they're yeah. not part of the case. They're right. trying to solve the case at all. Yeah. So they they don't have too much pertinent information to main plot. Yeah, but they do give a lot of backstory for both like Togusa and uh, Makoto, so mm-hmm. Yep. I don't know. I and think the they're major, fun. I yeah. actually really like episode 10. Oh, they're here. great episodes. Yeah, I think both of them are fantastic. Yeah, episode 10. Um, man, I like, I like this one for a number of reasons, mainly because we can talk about the legal situation in the far future of 2030 or whatever. It turns out um, it's literally Phoenix, right? Yeah. But um, also, I have to apologize in advance for this episode because um, most of it is in a court proceeding. So I'm just going to be reading this like it's a Supreme Court case dialogue. So sorry <laughs> about that. <laughs> But there's not much of a way to get around it. So just a stenographer here. Yeah, yeah. Just be some aggressive summaries of people explaining their big logical reasoning of why someone is guilty, and also, hot dog. This is some of the worst court. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. this is no. really, this oh is really God. bad court I proceedings. Yeah, you know? like my dad would have a watching this episode just like yeah. he's a lawyer yeah. and he would he I would actually <laughs> I know there are some YouTube channels that do like lawyers reacting to <laughs> fictional law Wonder I should look up an and episode. see if there's any for this episode because I can imagine a lawyer very politely and under controlled pooping their pants in anger <laughs> yeah, I don't know how yes. much common law has changed uh, in the far off future of 2033 but like there's some stuff in here that you, you sit down and you listen to like how is that legal how is that fair but yeah I guess we'll just get on into it um, episode 10 starts out with a city at the nighttime. Um, it's raining uh, there's a woman her name is uh, Shizuno it doesn't really matter she's the woman um, she's not going to be in this episode for too much longer no yeah, she's running in distress. Um, we cut over the Togusa. He's driving his car through the rain, talking to his wife, talking about wife-guy things. Uh, the woman runs in front of his car and he slams on the brakes. Uh, she yells at him, is like, please help me, and then runs off. And like we see this thuggish-looking man whose name is Izumi. Uh, he is following her with a gun. Uh, she runs into this alley and she's trapped and can't go anywhere. Uh, he hits her and then pulls the gun on her. Uh, Izumi asks, like, why are you running away from me? And... Uh, Shizumo gets like defiant over this and just like it's doesn't like, answer him. You have a gun, dumbass. Yeah. So he goes and he's about to shoot her, but Togusa shows up and he tells him to hold it and he has his gun drawn. So um, Izumi looks back and then looks at her and so Togusa fires twice and hits him in the arm and he turns around and uh, he says like, I turned off my pain receptors and says Togusa fires at his other arm twice. Um, and he's like not really able to hold his gun now. Uh, Izumi starts kind of like walking towards him, trying to raise his gun, and Togusa fires two more shots this time in the knee, and the guy eventually falls over. Uh, he he then puts reloads. a lot of bullets into this guy. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm saying this in excruciating detail because they talk yes, about it in the episode in excruciating detail. <laughs> oh, so 
Also, the other thing is, um, just kind of as a framing device, I really like how this is set up because it is almost set up to be like, like agonizingly open and shut. Right? Yes. Like this should be the easiest case on the planet. Of I'm the most guilty man in the world. <laughs> yeah, a clear nasty man chasing a woman who is saying, please do not chase me with a gun into an alleyway. And then cop shows up, shoot the guy, and then we done, we Gucci, no problems. <laughs> like, it's fine. And holy shit, the rest of this episode is just one or two little nasty pieces of shit. It's yeah. <laughs> really dragging it out. Yeah, this guy, well, we'll get to the defense attorney in a second. But yeah, Togusa reloads his gun. Um, <laughs> he goes over to Izumi, fires in the other elbow and the other knee twice. So this guy is like super disabled now. Just like at this point, you literally cannot move your robo bits. <laughs> yeah. So Tokusa goes over to Shizuno. He's like, hey, are you okay? And she's just kind of like looking past him. So he turns around and Izumi kind of like has his gun cocked behind his back and shoots. And there's a huge splatter and Tokusa is very bloody now. Um, there's a kind Oops. of a... Yeah, there's it, kind of a plane. The thing is, it, it's like a really, really unnatural shot and mm. a really unnatural angle. And mm. something that like someone who is not cyberized, especially after taking 12 bullets, would certainly not be able to do yeah. so it kind of starts up being like to some extent this problem is because of cyberization like this would have resolved differently if not for yes. that and that is another thing that is really heavily visited and talked about in this episode yeah no. use of force how much is you know justified anyway um yeah so there the woman is presumably shot we don't actually see it but there's a lot of blood all over Togusa, and he grins as a train subway train passes behind them uh, Tokusa turns and he is extremely enraged by this. He yells, do you want me to kill you, you son of a bitch? And then we hear gunshots as the title card comes up. So that's cool. Nice opening. We got to a police station. Um, there's a detective interrogating Togusa. Uh, uh, he asks, like, are you sure you fired 12 shots? Togusa says, yes. Um, they're like, we're going to be holding you for a bit longer. And Togusa's surprised, saying, like, well, hey, I work for Section 9. He's like, yeah, I know. Uh, there's going to be a summary hearing. I can just murder people. You do know that, right, sir? <laughs> he gets out his license to kill. <laughs> it's me, laminated. Me cop? You cop? No, 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 no arrest cop. He's very confused about this. <laughs> yeah. Man, like, it's got to be hard trying to some, like talk about this episode without getting into some fucking all cops or bastards bullshit. But mm -hmm. yeah, so we cut to a holding room. We see Izumi. He is in this like... Wait, wait, here. Let me settle this. Let me settle this. I'll, I'll get this resolved right now for the listeners so they can be comfortable with the rest of this podcast. If you agree that all cops are bastards, say I in three, two, one. I. I. Great. All right. Next <laughs> next plot. They basically made the Ender's game of cop shootings here. <laughs> like, I do want to mention that. Yeah. How uh, can we make the cop as blameless as possible? Anyway. Yeah, so we cut to this holding room. Izumi is in this, like, big wheelchair thing. Like, obviously, his arms and legs got shot up, so he can't really move. And he's kind of looking lame here. Uh, this slick lawyer dude, his name is Uda, he comes in and uh, say that his parents, uh, Izumi's parents hired him. Izumi starts complaining that he wants a new prosthetic body because he hates the wheelchair thing. Uda says, like, um, you know, you're shooting your, that one was an accident, right? And Izumi's, like, kind of confused because he's an idiot. Yeah. He's you like, can no. already tell, too, the U Ueda is yeah. working every angle yes. here. This guy is, this guy's Classic, slick and he's lawyer. good at what he does. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, so Ada mentions like I've had you had a lot of modifications, haven't you, from different manufacturers that use different software? You know, he's trying to allude that you know maybe this was a malfunction, but Izumi's kind of like, an idiot. I did it. I shot her. I really, <laughs> I, I really want. I super dead. murdered this woman. <laughs> yeah. So Ueda says that he specializes in cases like this. Prosthetic bodies can do weird things even under normal circumstances, and you kind of get where this is going. Yep. Um, we got to the courtroom. There's a whole bunch of legal battle where they're like kind of introducing people. The short of it is Izumi is unemployed. He's 23. Shizuno was a nurse. Uh, he and she rejected his advances like romantically. I guess that's really all the setup you need to know. And then here, yep. open shut, like. He was stalking her. He then shot her. That That's it. Done. Case over, right? He had a lot of prosthetics, though. He sure did. I also want to say they did make sure that him in the in the recovery cocoon in a wheelchair like they wanted him to look as pathetic as possible yes, like looks. it's really he, he, does, he, he looks like he can't do anything oh it's God, like a full body cast the shittiest grin on his face the entire time though <laughs> this dude is like grinning like yeah i did it but i'm gonna get away with it fuck you and i would convict him based on that grin alone <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I don't want you on my jury. Uh, we're, uh, we cut to Toga. So he's in this like holding cell talking to his wife. Um, she doesn't get why he's being held. Um, and like, you're not the defendant. Why are they keeping you? And Toga says like, well, it'll be done faster if they get all the testimony out early. Um, plus I fired my gun off duty and that's, you know, not allowed technically. And she's all concerned. It's like, you should just quit your security company job. So she leaves, and you can tell that this kind of, like, upset Togusa a bit. And his um, normcore wife, who still doesn't actually know he's a super assassin. Super spy, yeah. Um, she leaves, and they pass uh, the chief, Major Mbato, who entered the holding area. Togusa apologizes to the chief, and the chief says, like, hey, your actions were admirable, but the gun thing's still an issue legally. Uh, Bato fills in that Izumi's father is this big wig at a local law firm and that Ueda is a notorious former DA who is good at these sorts of cases. And, like, listen, you got to be careful. This guy's sly. Who's a real I also love, I love how many times they're like, yeah, you shouldn't have used your gun off the clock. Like, the problem isn't, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. you just resort to shooting people really quickly. It is, hey, man, we have paperwork to file. And, like, <laughs> yeah. you, you got to be on business hours when you do that or you're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, this kind of goes into they just normal assume, like, if. Yeah, if he was on the clock, it would just be 100% totally acceptable. No need for any kind of review. Yeah, it's... Yeah, I mean, that's normal <laughs> policing. That's justified force most yeah. of the time if the cop feels that he was in danger. Yeah. So it's Continu- licensed yeah. to kill 9 to 5. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so the chief warns him is like, as you probably know, things that can be said during these visitations can be used in court during cross-exams. Why? Why? And <laughs> I, that's... That was the first thing that blew my mind. That's pretty um, fucked up, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Togusa says, like, you know, I'm, I'll be fine, but I'm worried about my wife. And the Major's like, yeah, I talked to her. She's got to go home. You don't have to worry about anything. And the Major, major also reminds him that transmissions in court, you know, the radio transmissions, are banned. And uh, if you use any of them on standard frequency, they'll be traced. So, and then uh, she coughs several times and looks directly at him. <laughs> Not so much, but yes. <laughs> standard frequencies. If you specifically use standard frequencies, we'll be in trouble. Wink. Well, anyway, good luck in court. <laughs> like, yeah. It's pretty great. 
Uh, so we cut into court. Ueda is examining Togusa, and I'm just going to start reading this as a transcript. Uh, Ueda, in deposition you stated you fired your arms at the arms and legs to stop him. So why did you fire so many bullets? Togusa, suspect had prosthetics and he said he turned off the pain receptors. I felt it was necessary to stop him. Ueda, you stopped him first? Togusa, yes. But he hadn't let go of his gun. We had to remove the gun when arresting. Uh, Ueda then shows the Mataba revolver. Togusa identifies it. Ueda says, does everyone use this gun where you work? Togusa, no, they use different guns, automatics. No, I'm a fucking nerd with a revolver. And, and here yeah. I'm like, why? As the defense, I just feel like, why? Objection, relevance. Yes, objection, relevance. Like, what <laughs> What does Togusa's gun have to do with anything, buddy? Also, like, there are many answers that would solve this. Like, here's here's one example. I wasn't on the clock, so I didn't want to walk around with a fucking machine gun. <laughs> like, there's there's one answer he could have given. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Ada says, the autos have 21 bullets while your revolver has six. Uh, your, when yours runs out, what do you do? Togusa says he reloads. Ueda asks, which reloads faster? Togusa says the automatics, but the revolver has merits. He, he says, starts going into full gun defender mode here. Yeah, he wants to defend his stupid pick for gun, and Ueda's yes, like, and only answer questions that are related to the case, please. Thank you. But how? <laughs> what does it matter? It doesn't. <laughs> he he kind of brings it up here. Also, I, I'm going to ask for some clarification, because we've gotten past the point where they've shown it. The judge is like... A lady hooked into it looks like like six robo jurors. That actually comes kinda, up here in a second. Like, uh, but yeah, there's like oh, okay. it's nine boxes. Like of those, remember back in the season one, that guy who walked around in a cube that was a manufacturing dude. It's those types of robots, and there's like nine of them on a panel in front of like a humanoid-looking judge, and like they all like when objections go up, you can see like the little red or green lights above them as they either sustain or overrule. It's uh, so kind I of guess a cool it's- touch. Japan's finest legal minds here in a box. Yeah, I, I kind of think I think it's a cool little touch they have, but that's how cyber <laughs> court works. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Togusa answers that the revolvers or the automatics uh, reload faster. Weta says, "Isn't it strange giving your work?" And Togusa says, "Like, well, the autos can jam, and there's six bullets that are normally more than enough to kill anyone or stop anyone." And that's his in, you idiot. Yeah. So Weta says, "Like, oh, that's not very persuasive when you had to fire twelve shots at my defendant." And it's like. You carry this just on personal preference, right? And Togusa says, no. Ueda says, you spend a lot of time on the range. Is it an entertainment? Do you get off and firing your gun at people? And so the plaintiff uh, here finally, objects. Finally steps yeah. in. Um, irrelevancy, and the nine judge bots sustain it, so that's good for them. They do, like, do it every time, but also you really should start cutting this off at the pass, guys. Yeah, this, this plaintiff DA, like, I don't know if he's just like kind of phoning it he in. He just needs to be removed from court. They're not the, the, the like the guy accusing uh, Togusa just has no right to be in court at this point. Like, yes. he has already said a solid three things that would be like, sir, sit down and stop this line of questioning or you're being removed from the court. <laughs> <laughs> like, just straight up. Yeah, so Ueda asks us, like, do you remember what you said to Izumi last night? Uh, I'll quote you Do you want me to kill you? Uh, at this point, you can see Azumi is smirking about this. Yeah, just the biggest, shittiest grin ever. And I just look at him and I'm like, man, I, yeah, fuck that guy. Guilty. <laughs> Did his lawyer not tell him to maybe not look like the most evil fucker in court? <laughs> it's fine. Uh, a way to ask, uh, killing suspects is among your options, right? And at this point, Togusa is getting very heated, uh, saying, you're twisting my words. Ueda says, you shot all the joints. Toga says, we know that. I was trying to save the woman. Ueda, you feel no remorse. The judge then yells at Togusa to sit down because he's, like, getting really angry. He's getting into it, yeah. idiot. 
We got outside to Bato and Major. Um, Bato's smoking. I don't know if you... I think that's the first time he's done that. It's weird. Mm -hmm. uh, he says that Togus is getting really hot under the collar and that that lawyer is pretty good at getting him to feel like that. Uh, Bato says, like, he's not on trial, but, like, it's starting to look like he may be that way based on the line of questioning. Uh, Bato then asks, like, uh, about the encrypted messages. Do you think he um, will send them? And the major says that he's running in autistic mode, so, like, obviously his radio's turned off. Uh, Bato because wonders he's if a he... moron. Yeah, Bato wonders if he didn't get the hit, and the major's like, he's not an idiot. He just has some stupid sense of justice and doesn't want to use any underhanded tricks. He's not this kind of idiot. He's that kind of idiot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Bato's like, oh, I'm going to go look into Izumi. Um, the chief's going back to the HQ, and the major's just staying. They'll watch as Togusa digs himself a grave. <laughs> uh, so we cut back to the court again. Ueda says, uh, Togusa intended to kill Izumi, and recaps the prosthetic body quote from earlier. Uh, this is in violation of the Prosthetic Body Simulation Discrimination Act, and like he believed he wanted to discharge a weapon due to prejudices against cyborgs. Yeah. So, to, to be clear here, this is horse shit. Yes. Because, like... Well, clearly what it is, is he said, yeah, I realized he was a cyborg because he turned around, said, that won't work. I've turned my pain inhibitors off. And despite the fact that I had shot him twice, continued to raise his gun at me. Like, this is absolutely not a case of discrimination. He was going to shoot this guy to disarm him regardless. It was just he had to shoot him more. extremely more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so like he's trying to twist this into a discriminatory thing, and it is yeah, fuck. It he's, sucks. he's doing classic sleazy lawyer shit to try to sway the jury. It, there is no jury here though, because it's a preliminary trial. But that, whatever. <laughs> anyway, the uh, plaintiff DA objects. It says the act has nothing to do with the case, and it's sustained. Waiter says, "Let me uh, offer an explanation based on his workplace." Waiter says that Togusa works for Section Nine, where almost all the members have cyber bodies. There's a lot of stress, and he's surrounded by cyborgs all the time, so he has developed an inferiority complex, and the incident proved as an outlet for that. It's a good thing Bato wasn't in the court for this. Yeah. Bato uh, the... just laughed his ass off and was very funny. <laughs> He's right, bro. <laughs> yeah, so the plaintiff again objects and it is as speculation and it is sustained. Uh, we cut to Bato. He's at Izumi's house. I guess the maid let him in. I don't know why he's just inside this house with this woman next to him just fucking around on this dude's computer. Yeah. But he found a list of illegal prosthetics that Izumi had uh, installed the day before the shooting. And so they go ahead and just pass this to the prosecuting DA. <laughs> and at this point, I'm like, what the fuck is a warrant? What is discovery? Like, you have broken the Fourth Amendment? Like, what the fuck is Again, going on Again, Phoenix here? Wright, baby. But, but also, why didn't they already know this? Like, the guy think. shot someone? Did you not go into his house? Nope. Yeah, I, I, there are so many, like, I just, they skipped over so many legal things that needed to happen between the court case and this. Don't uh, worry about this it. This is yeah. no law and order. <laughs> We're going to interrogate a parrot. Just you wait. <laughs> like, it's, oh my God. it's about to get wicked stupid. <sighs> um, so the major asks about the intel of DA Kuzunoki trying to get Section 9 in court. She's talking to, sorry, I should uh, take this back. The major is talking to the chief here. And they bring up the topic of the in, some intel they have where the district attorney, Kuzunoki, is trying to get Section 9 in the court for some reason. Uh, the chief says that he was involved with the Yakushima case from last season. And it looks like he, this guy has ambitions to move up politically now. So he's trying to get another big case and he has his eyes on Section 9. Uh, the major thinks that Gota is doing the point of the strings behind the scenes because that of seems course. likely. Uh, we have a brief shot of Togus's house. Uh, his wife is sitting at the table, very worried, and the laundry is outside in the rain. And the daughter wonders when daddy's coming home. It's 
an empathy <laughs> poll here. After Daddy shot someone today. Yeah. Daddy times. shot someone 12 times, honey. <laughs> it's going to take some time. Uh, so we cut the toga so he's in that holding area again. Ueda walks in and Ueda just comes straight up and says like, Hey, I'm thinking of filing a civil suit against you. And Togus is like, is that a threat? And Ueda says, I talked to Aramaki and his boss says, your boss says, if you write this off as a prosthetic control incident, then I'll drop the civil suit. So Togusa rightly calls him out and says, the chief would never fucking say that. And Ueda's like, well, guess I'm going to have to do it. And you're going to put section nine in a jam. Oh no. And he walks sure out. Sure would suck. Bye-bye. Yeah. This guy... Pulling the full sleaze going on here, once yep. in this case. Uh, back in court, Ueda saying that uh, you found the Zumi to be a human, would you have fired 12 shots? And Togusa says no. Ueda says, uh, let's talk about the recent suicide bombings that have been happening in the news. Section 9 has been working on it. You were there. Togusa says yes. Um, in the back of the court, we start to see the media's ears perk up because they're wondering how this is going to involve itself. And the chief is back there is like, uh, we should put a media blackout on this. And the major <laughs> says, working on it. So how did they stop that? These guys are taking physical notes. Yeah, and then Bato just eats them on the way out. <laughs> yeah, you take them, <laughs> stuff them in your mouth. <laughs> uh, so Ueda says a copy of that report here, and he starts, he holds up this um, a bunch of papers regarding the suicide bombing incidents from a couple episodes back. And the major looks over and sees the DA, Kusanagi, Kusanoki. Just sitting um, in the front row of the yeah. audience. So... It's kind of implied here that Kusunoki is working with this other dude for some reason. Uh, Ueda says that during the incident, you uh, were there stopping one of the suicide bombings. And during that incident, you gave warning to the young woman with no shots fired. Why was that case different? Ueda says, was it because of mental bias that was involved? And Togusa says, I issued a warning in this case too. And Izumi's conduct was different. Ueda says, there's no way to prove that though. Because there's, well, no witnesses. Ueda says he's not here to pass judgment at the previous incident. He just wants to prove the innocence of his client was an accident due to Togusa's direct actions. Since the bombings of the client, uh, since the bombings, the client, uh, referring to Izumi, has been discriminated against due to his prosthetics. And because of this, his hand, he had his hand swapped the day before the incident. Sure. Uh, yeah. Izumi's looking smug at all this and Bato's saying they're playing the refugee card. Uh, <laughs> Ueda then goes and glances at DA uh, Kusunoki. Um, and says that the fence is resting. So resting on what? 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 <laughs> There's exactly? no case. Like, there is no case. You didn't even like really bring up the different prosthetics. Meant he didn't mean to shoot her. Like that's where I thought all this was going. But no, you just yelled at Togus. He's just somewhere. throwing red paint on Togus's suit, basically. Yeah, pro proving again, nothing, and your client's going to jail. Good job. Again, like it makes no sense because, like, if this was against like a jury of the peers, I could see these sort of like smear tactics working, the throwing of the empathy for you know the prosthetic body and everything. But this is presumably a pretrial, and it's supposed to be with those judges up there. So, like, I would see this not working as easily. No, Maybe, I mean, I guess it's not it supposed could, to. It depends on. It depends on who, like, the judges and jury are, because, like, if they are people in prosthetic bodies, maybe they have, he's thinking they'll go with it a little more. I don't know. I guess. It's weird. <clears throat> so, as uh, people are starting to shuffle out of the courtroom, Togusa stands up and says that this is a mockery of justice, no peace for the victim. Uh, he says Ueda came to him yesterday with the threat of a civil suit in order to settle the incident. Um, he's starting to like rant on a soapbox now saying that the plan was to get the Togusa the back down because if he didn't, he would want, didn't want uh, to get him the back down because if he didn't, it was going to open an investigation into section nine and he didn't want that to cause any problems for his coworkers or section nine. So as of this moment, he is quitting section nine. Um, the courts of course, murmuring all in, you know, wondering what the hell's going on. Uh, Bato calls him an idiot. 
Uh, the chief says he's letting his anger get to him. His uh, DA prosecutor buddy, his lawyer, is trying to tell him to shut the fuck up, but he's ignoring but, him. Oh, he's going. Kind of he's just going now. <laughs> yeah. Um, Togus goes on to say the shooting was no accident. He couldn't save the woman, but he's not running from this trial. Uh, the judge tells him that the court is in recess, which is funny, but he won't she, shut up. She has lost complete control at this point. Yeah. Uh, we get a cool Hitchcock shot here of Togus. He says, lately there's been a lot of trials like this. He's heard that the uh, DA and defense lawyer is conspiring with a certain prosthetic manufacturer to cover up for defects and products. Um, he kind of just like it's almost like a rant that he's going on here and his face fades into the major for some reason which we'll find out in a second yeah who is just staring intently yeah and he says that now that he's out of section 9 he's going to blow the whistle on this misconduct um, the judge orders to remove him from the courtroom and the bailiffs start hauling him off and he looks surprised at all of this like you were just ranting dude Hmm. Uh, Ueda also looks surprised and he then looks at the DA Kusanagi who's now staring intently at Togusa weird yeah uh, so we cut the Section 9 HQ. Togusa enters the office where the Chief Major and Bato are, and he is clearly not happy at this. Uh, he then addresses to the Major, he's like, even though it was you, I don't like being ghost-hacked without my consent. Yeah, but you were dying up there, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Major then bluntly says, like, if you stop shoving that naive sense of justice in everyone's face, I won't need to ghost-hack you. And Togusa's like, well, that had to have backfired, right? And Bato says that, nope, they've probably fa- they found them guilty in the pretrial, and they're probably going to find them guilty in the real trial. Because let's be real. He had no defense. <laughs> None. Yeah. So the chief goes on to explain that the major ghost-hacked him with a speech in secret, so they, um, they turned up... Yeah, so they turned up a bunch of information on Wade's bank records when they looked into it, and the major ghost-hacked him to do that speech in court so that uh, they basically spook Ueda into dropping everything. Yeah, the whole, we're going to expose all the dirty secrets. Yeah, and the major says that since the, the DA, Kusun, Kusunoki, Kusun, ah, Kusunoki. Yeah, Kusunoki. Uh, since he was trying to rattle Section 9 through this guy, uh, he didn't want to get, you know, traced to, to Ueda at all. So he just kind of walked away and pulled out all the support he was giving. And the major then goes on the muse that, like, Goda was the playwright, Kusunoki was the director, and Ueda was the lead actor. And uh, Togusa goes on to say, like, you're joking. What happened to fighting for justice and getting a fair trial? <laughs> oh, Togusa, so you're so yeah, normal. the major says, hate to be cynical, <laughs> but your justice is no longer has a role to play. You know, no longer. <laughs> yeah, so Togusa says, like, this is not going to help the victim rest in peace. And the chief says, well, there might be some divine retribution. We cut to a parking garage. Boma parks the car, hands the keys over to um, presumably the Section 9 attendant, and says that the car needs to be scrapped, and uh, along with all the paperwork tracing it here, and then walks off. The attendant is watching a news story that apparently there's been a car accident, and Ueda and Izumi are in critical condition. We then get a shot of Togusa in the alley where uh, Shizumo, Shizuno died, uh, dropping off some flowers on the chalk outline there as the train passes. We cut the Togus's household. The daughter asks if daddy will be home, and mom says yes. And the news report says there will be sunny skies tomorrow. This is like morally this, all over the place, this ending. <laughs> this episode is like maybe some of the most pure strain propaganda we've gotten so far. And yeah. Like, that's what the whole show would be in a low line level of it. Like, it, it, it goes a lot of directions because obviously Izumi is guilty. Like, he shot yeah. that girl, and it's all his fault. 
And Togusa is trying to have this naive sense of justice, like it's backfiring on him because that's not how the world works at this point. So that's but what shady also, lawyers are. Yeah, but then it goes straight on in like Section 9 breaks God knows how many laws to dig up dirt on this guy to basically blackmail him out of court. And yeah. the chief justifies and writes off basically a political assassination attempt on this dude via Boma. Yep. And yeah. It's a weird episode. <laughs> Man, like... It's just trying to like I don't even know what to think of this because like I like this show a lot but like it's morally reprehensible everything that happens. <laughs> Honestly, the car accident with the the defense lawyer—I mean, he's scummy, but like you know, uh, he was just doing his job as scummy as that was. <laughs> his scummy defense lawyer job. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, it's an episode, all right. Yeah, it, it, I guess it does a decent job of showing that uh, a lot of people say, "Wow, cool cyborg!" When there's you know. <laughs> Blind. <laughs> God, I don't how do you even describe that? <laughs> Moral, like, just failing on every level of justice. <laughs> oh, baby. But I guess and that's what Section 9 deals with. 11, which is a major episode. Mm. I guess a Motoko yeah. episode. Um, Probably more accurate to say that, yeah. Exactly. So we open up on the major in sweet wraparound shades, sitting at a cafe, alone at a table. Uh, two shady guys near her are watching her very inconspicuously. She gets up to go to the bathroom, at which point a voice asks if they want to follow her to keep tabs. Uh, the two dudes basically say the bathroom has a window that doesn't open and has bars on it. So there's sh- she could break it, but there's no way she'd leave that such an obvious trail uh, for us to follow. And we get these sweet diagrams of a public bathroom with bars on the window for some reason. Uh, we cut over to the bathroom, which definitely does not have bars on the window. (laughs) Major does a sweet flip out of it and onto the roof and basically just runs away, getting away from these guys. She needed Uh, her one sweet flip per episode. She Look, she's mandated at least one sweet flip. (laughs) We get the title card and cut to Bato and Togusa in a car, lamenting how shitty all these new recruits are. Bato is drinking a beer on the job because he's basically just babysitting. Uh, Togusa asks if, like, tailing the major is a bit too hard for new recruits, but Bato says he taught them how to spot fake memories, so they should really be able to notice the fact that the window does not actually have bars, or at least that they think the window has bars when it doesn't. Um, at this point, the major has lost all but two of the recruits. She's riding a boat into another part of town with a big open-air market, still tailed by them. She takes a turn up a narrow set of stairs, at which point a yellow ball kind of bounces down the stairs and she catches it, kind of like, you know, examining it and continues to walk up. The new recruits follow her up the stairs, but as soon as they come out into another street, she's just completely disappeared. Oh, no. Hmm. Back to Bato and Togusa. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I like the shot of the stairs because they do it from like a weird angle. And so it feels a little bit surreal as she walks up the stairs. Yep. Everything about the stairs is dutched and like, you know, you, it's like a twisty alley staircase. So you can't Mm. really see what's ahead of you as you go through. It's cool. Um, So Bato gripes about the new recruits more, but then T and Togusa realize that they also aren't getting any signals from the major. And they're like, do you think she shut her thing off because she's so disgusted with this test? (laughs) Um, It's five o'clock. She clocked out. Exactly. (laughs) But we actually cut to Motoko, who is on the same street as before, but it's completely empty. And we get this great, like, pullback shot with a fisheye lens of, like, 
this whole street is just devoid of people when there were yeah, a ton of them Yeah, it's the before. same shot that we saw of the two recruits looking around, but, like, there's no people there, and it's fish-eyed. Yep. So, it's nice looking. It's weird. There's a lot of interesting camera work in this. Um, she kind of freaks out and starts running around the town, tries to connect to Wi-Fi, but she gets a whole bunch of no, no signals. Um, she wonders if she's being hacked until she comes down an alley to the memory store. And that uh, is quite actually, literally the name. That's not a goof. Yeah, she makes a note here. It's like, if the recruits are doing this, they're actually pretty fucking good. Yeah. <laughs> they're not. <laughs> no. So she walks up to the door and feels a strange sensation saying that none of this feels real. The camera's like subtly distorted as it pans across. Uh, it's, mm -hmm. it's a really nice effect. She wanders into the store and it's just totally filled with little knickknacks. You got clocks, clothes, old toys, everything you could admit. And like this shop is super tightly packed. Yeah, I it's also a... like the way she seems a little bit high because she's like touching everything. Yes, she's like, she is like, what the hell oh, is going on? This feels like smoke, but I know it's not smoke. Ooh. Oh, that's, yeah, oh, that's like, weird. I think she says, like, when she touches the door, like, I'm actually feeling this door for real. But, like, since everything's so fucked up, like, it doesn't feel real. Yeah. Like, if this is a hack, this is pretty convincing. Um, she walks upstairs and finds, like, a convertible with two prosthetic bodies in it. A blonde boy and a girl with purple hair and red eyes. Hmm. Hmm. The girl has a necklace of origami cranes on as well. Finally, an older woman shows up and, like, basically surprises her because Monica was really interested in the bodies that were in the car. Uh, she explains that this is a shop where people store sentimental objects and memories of their customers. So we start, uh, we get back to that idea of External people memory. having physical objects that they essentially store their memories in to prove that they were the one who did this. I mean, um, she goes into it more, but this is an external memory repository. Yes, like, essentially a pawn shop, but, like, you know, for stuff, uh, for sentimental objects. So, the items in the store are worthless to most people, but they have a strong psychic imprint that must have pulled her in. Um, and, in fact, there's actually an interesting story about those two prosthetic bodies. They came from the early days of prosthetics, and they have some very painful memories attached to them. Um... But then a clock goes off and it turns out it's closing time. So you'll have to come back another day if you want to hear this story. <laughs> My online storefront has clock hours of 9 to 5. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. So Major's clearly kind of shaken by all this. But she she listens. She leaves. And like the second she walks out the door, a kid bumps into her. And she's back in like the normal world again. Yeah, it's a really cool shot because she walks out the door and it's still like an empty streetway. And then she mm -hmm. looks down at the ball that she has in her hand. And then th she gets bumped by a kid and turns and reacts. And like the street's filled with people. Yep. Suddenly all the crowd noise comes back in. Um, and then she says that the weird thing she was feeling was nostalgia. Mm. So back at the office, T Bato is mad because Major still hasn't come back and it's the evening now. And maybe also because he lost her too. I, I think this is the Japanese thing where like you can't leave until your boss leaves. Yes. So like he was just is. sitting oh there God. waiting until nine o'clock until <laughs> she shows up. <laughs> <laughs> so Togus teases him for it and says he should go home. But Major finally reappears and they gets like super coy when they ask where she's been when Bato's like really pissed about it. Um, they talk about how basically only one of the recruits seems promising and that's bad because they really need some more hands on, on deck here. 
Uh, Togusa says Bato should maybe cut these guys some slack. And like when he was new, he couldn't possibly have tailed the major. And Bato was like, oh yeah, that doesn't surprise me because you suck, Togusa. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. He just shits on Togusa for like no reason out of nowhere. <laughs> well, that's, that's Bato. So like Major leaves and Togusa's like, D- do you really think you could tail the Major who can just fucking disappear like she did today? And Bato's like, damn straight, son. <laughs> um, we hard cut to the uh, next day at the exact same cafe we started where Major is talking over with one of her girlfriends like... Asking, like, do you think that objects can have psychic energy? Like, did did you ever feel that from any of the objects you own? And she's like, well, I guess I remember when I drive my car, it feels like it's an extension of me. Is is that what you mean? And Major's like, "Mm, I don't know. I was talking a little more new agey than that. It's kind of funny, like, (laughs) how ditzy and stupid her girlfriends are. It's really (laughs) great. The people she surrounds herself with. Yeah, Major and Togusa both are just like, I have so much action and wild shit at my job, I just need the most normal, boring-ass people. Yes. I just just need the most basic, boring people. I need someone who is just going to turn on some music that I heard on the radio on the drive home when I get (laughs) home. (laughs) That's what I need. Yep. Uh, so Major is tracing the exact same steps as yesterday, except this time Bato's the one tailing her. Uh, she gets to the staircase again, and once again, she disappears up at the top of it. Bato walks out and just sort of starts going like, oh, god damn it. Yeah, he's like, did she know I was following her? And he's like really confused about how, like, he he's good at this sort of stuff. How yeah. did she slip in? How could she have actually done this? Maybe he was wrong about the recruits. Uh, she's back at the shop, and we finally actually get to the meat of the episode. Yeah. Uh, the old lady starts explaining the story of the bodies. They belonged to a boy, or they belonged to the boy who, like, it was his former body, and they've been here for quite a long time. When he was six, there was a really bad airplane crash that only had two survivors, a boy and a girl. Uh, The boy was left paralyzed everywhere except his left arm, and the girl was in a coma. So, since his parents died in the crash, and his extended family didn't really want to deal with it, he basically didn't have anyone with him and started to imprint on the comatose girl and see her as his only friend, they're even next though to each she other. was just out. Yeah, they're next to each other in the hospital. And, like, she's shown as not moving at all, and he just kind of stares at her all the time. And she has a whole bunch and of bandages like, covering up her hair and her face. And they're very young at this point, yeah, to be six, clear. Six These are like, old. Yeah. Uh, so he learned to fold paper cranes with his one good hand as kind of like a, a gesture for her. And we get these time-lapse shots of him getting better and better at it. Like at first they, they're really shitty, but they actually start getting like, you know, machine precision basically. Yeah. Um, this is really cool. One for the rotoscoping. Like they do like good job with just the hand animation. Yes, they, there are loving animations of one hand folding a paper crane. And also this goes into the whole, like, I guess folklore thing if you fold a thousand paper cranes a wish comes true so yep and eventually we get shots of her bed totally filled with hanging paper cranes you see a nurse kind of like taking a string from him and putting them up uh unfortunately she then took a turn for the worse and was taken out of the room we get the shot the shot of oh god she's coding you know get in here blood pressure falling they wheel her out of the room and he never saw her again so he figured she died even her like they told him she went she to went, a farm upstate. She, she went yeah. far away, which is kid code for die. 
mind. <laughs> he knows what that means when the nurses say that. I, I think a kid involved in a plane crash knows what death is. Right? So, especially when his parents die, you don't have to just say she went upstate. But also... Apparently, you know, never mind, it's fine. Anyway, um, so we... They time skip two years. Uh, at this point, he's basically talking to no one and did nothing but silently fold these paper cranes. We get shots of like him putting them on colored paper, just kind of spewing them across the floor and all that. Uh, they, he doesn't really talk to anyone except to ask for more paper to fold into cranes. He's super despondent and like depressed. But after all the lawsuits have finally been settled, uh, the doctor, a, a doctor and a relative show up to basically give him an offer of, hey, we there's this new prosthetics procedure that could potentially give you full mobility back if you, it's, it's extremely experimental, but if you're brave enough to try it, you could, you know, help us with our research study, basically. Um, he's reluctant, and the lady is like, not because he wasn't brave, but because he wouldn't be able to fold cranes with prosthetics. <laughs> The one thing um, he knows to do. Yeah, because it's basically, it's become his thing to do this for this girl. His coping mechanism. More or less. To convince him, they actually show him a girl who has been, who has gone through the procedure already and been fully prosthetized. And it's a young major in a baseball cap. Got the purple a hair, six, got the red yeah, eyes. Six-year-old major. Yeah, six-year-old major. Um, he's still skeptical about all this. But she visits him basically every day, and we get all these shots of all the cool things that she can do. Of uh, her riding a scooter and bouncing a yellow ball against the wall. Hmm. There's some sappy music playing during all this, obviously. Oh, God, the fucking slow, the, the slow jam starts. Yeah, they're really trying <laughs> to play scene. up the empathy angle here. Oh, yeah. Um, after weeks of silence, like he, where he has basically said nothing to her... He finally says he'll do it if you can fold a paper crane as well as I can. Because if I can't do it, then it doesn't. Then there's no reason for me to get these prosthetics. Uh, she tries to fold a crane, but with the shitty prosthetics of the day, she can't manage it. There's like this really great shot of her, like clearly in a huge amount of discomfort with her fingers trying to like fold the paper and press it yeah. down, and she like rips the. Uh, the crane's wing and all that kind of stuff. It goes yeah. about as well as me making a paper crane, really. Basically, yeah. yes, with my prosthetics. Yeah, the shot of her is like she's intensely trying, like very hard to do this, but like you can tell the hands just don't move in a natural way. Yes. So. And like it, but at the same time, she does keep trying to do it. Um, still, he says that if he can't keep making cranes, he's not going to do it, and she leaves saying that someday she'll come back and start folding paper cranes for him. And we get this, ah, from the, uh, <laughs> from the music and everything. Uh, this basically is what actually convinces him to go ahead for it with it, even though he never sees her again. The lady's like, I don't know why she never visited him. I'm sure it's not because she had a super secret spy job that took her <laughs> off the grid. No. <laughs> It should also be mentioned while she's saying this story, the old woman is drinking tea with the major. <laughs> yes, I did forget to mention that. Like, the old lady set up a cup of tea, and we see, like, get some big shots of sugar cubes with little tiny paper wrappers on them. Chekhov's sugar cubes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, so the, she finally reveals that this body in the car was his first prosthetic body, and that later on he discovered that her first prosthetic body was being studied in the university that he went to, and he basically bought it, because it was sentimental and not creepy at all, and brought it here to be stored. I guess I could see him buying his own, but not, not the other one. Yeah, maybe. Um, weird to explain so that. The she the the old the major is basically like still very like bought into the story at this point. Is like, well, what happened to him? And the the old lady says that he was shipped overseas towards the end of the war, and he was never seen again. Um, he hasn't he he hasn't contacted me for years, and honestly, I think he might be dead because surely he wouldn't leave this old body in here with me if he wasn't. Well, uh, the memory of the body, not the yeah, physical exactly. body. Yeah, you exactly. Know? So the major gets up, and as she leaves, she puts a decently folded paper crane from one of the sugar wrappers uh, onto the dashboard. And the lady, it like suddenly clicks for her that this lady with red eyes and purple hair, purple hair, <laughs> might in some way be connected to this. Um, and she says, the major says, even now, I bet that girl is still searching for the first boy she ever loved. <gasps> I'm sure oh, no. we'll never meet that boy. Never. It's so. Goda. <laughs> <laughs> I would laugh, but it's definitely not Goda. So as she leaves, she drops the ball down the stairs again, which she's had with her basically this whole time. Uh, back at the office, Bato walks in on the major, failing to drink iced tea, because he's like, you know, the ice is melted on that. And she's like, uh... Uh, he says he's been thinking of lowering the standards of examination for new recruits since even he was green once, and also because he lost he's it today. He's trying to sue his ego. No, he doesn't admit that. He would never. <laughs> but let's be real. But Major's like, well, yeah, no one's good at things right off the bat, and smiles, and and like Bato's like, oh, thank God, I thought you were gonna fire me for losing you today. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I didn't tell you that. I didn't tell you that. Shh, it's fine. Yeah, he says something to the effect of, like, it's a huge weight off my mind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's pretty great. And that's basically how the episode ends. So, you yeah, know, so no get, one's good at things at the start, even the major. Wow. Get some backstory on the major there. Um, I don't think the manga ever goes into her backstory and why she's fully cyberized, but uh, Standalone Complex does, and yep. it's decent enough, I guess. That's it's a nice enough Neat. episode. And I'm um, sure the boy yeah. will never be relevant. It and also now kind we of come to the plot. It also kind of makes sense from um, a plot standpoint of why she's so good with her cyber body is because she was one of the first people ever to get one when she was a yeah. kid, so she learned how to use it really well. Presumably, like cyber bodies are new, so like adults that have cyber bodies, unless they got it early as a kid, are still trying to learn them. Yeah, like adults learning languages versus kids learning yeah, languages. Yeah. Well, they have a hard time making paper cranes while she is an expert. <laughs> she can make a very decent paper crane. Mm-hmm. All right, so episode 12, uh, Bormer downloads slipknot.mp3.exe. <laughs> That's the through line. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, that's uh, some so bad it, information security on Boma's part. <laughs> right? <laughs> that whole scene, we'll get into it. Yeah. Uh, so we open up in more of It's those. fine. <laughs> Just put the poison directly in my brain. That way I'll know if it... Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, so we open up with more of those, like, cool orange uh, hacking visuals. We've got the babies and Borma. Oh, Borma, his avatar is just, like, a triangle in a, in a circle with an ID number on it. The babies are, of course, themselves. 
They've got avatars. They've uploaded them. They do. Uh, they start attacking some gates or injecting a virus into it. Uh, Bora pops up cyber reality and tells Ishikawa they found it, which is a stealth gate only accessible through the European satellite system. They go on to call it, like, uh, the Asian something, and Ishikawa's, like, very unimpressed by it for some reason. Right, like, he, he went to all this work to put it on the different part of the internet, but he left the this-belongs-to-the-country-of-Japan IP address on it, <laughs> making it very obvious who this belongs to. And so the babies are very eager to start digging in, but Ishikawa's like, not until the major gets here. Uh, after the title card, the major is now with them, and she's very pissed off because she thinks Goda is taunting them. Uh, yeah. With Kawashima's external memories not having any proof that he did it. Kawashima, uh, yes, is the dead dude from the alley that got shot by Section 1 three yes. episodes ago? Yes. Yes. Yeah, the uh, guy who was a rigged up to be an assassin, but really was one of the guys that was involved in the... Um, Suicide attempts by the refugees. Yep. Yes, so he's connected yep. with, like, the yep. individual 11 and that sort of stuff. Yeah. So they presumably found his external memories, and that's why they were looking into them. Yep. yep. Um, so is like, well, there's no evidence of tampering, but if the individual 11 have been infected with a virus, this is where we're going to find evidence of that. And so the major just immediately wants to dive right in, because she just, she just loves diving into this shit. I love hacking. Uh, but Aramaki calls her up and is like, we've got a top priority case. And she's like, is it more serious than this? You know, do some hacking. The evidence to find that, you know, Goda did all this. And he's like, yes. Also get Basso Saito and Paz up here as well. She's like, fuck. All right. All right. All right. Borma, you <laughs> Fine, dude. In. You do it. <sighs> Bubba's like, finally, plot relevance. <laughs> I know. It's been so long. Poor guy. <laughs> Well, it's like they they had a character whose main trait was being Hacker Man, and then they like also gave Major the ability to be Hacker Man. Yeah, also. basically. Major's just the Mary Sue. She's great at everything. So yep. mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so Ishikawa, uh, Tokusa, and Borma uh, hack in, and the babies start asking them, you know, why don't you make your avatars look like yourselves? And Tokusa's like, you know, it'd be dangerous to be weighed down in a barrier array, but. Also, it would look extremely silly to have us flying around looking like superheroes from comic books. Yeah, we saw the Major's, uh, like, cyber avatar a couple episodes back. Like, yep. I just want to see Ishikawa in the same skin-tight <laughs> shit. <laughs> yes! <laughs> um, so, Bora makes it through this barrier. Tashikoma start resuming their virus injections. And Bora finds a suspicious file titled... Individual 11. Mm, my not folder suspicious. on my desktop called not porn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you should say not individual 11. <laughs> that would be not suspicious. Uh, so then Ishikawa is like, well, you know, the fastest way to find out if a file is a virus is to just dump it into a cyber brain, right? And Bormer's like, fuck yeah. Me, hit my, me with that shit. My brain. Hit me with it. And Tokus is standing there being like, what? Uh, no. What? No, no, no! Shouldn't we write like a vaccine first? And Bormer like kind of snaps at him for idiot. You can't write a vaccine until symptoms appear. And Ishikawa's just like, yeah. Yep, he's right, dude. And Togus is like, ah. Oh. 
This still seems really bad, dude. I mean, like, they go and back up his brain, but still, it's a terrible idea. It has been zero days so since funny. the Cybertrain infiltration. They do a full backup yeah, it... and they partition off his analysis sectors. What more do you want, Togusa? <laughs> I just love it because it gives me a very similar energy to, like... Uh, when people in the Navy and submarines start drinking the torpedo fuel yes. and it's just like, come on, we have one joy in this life. Let us, ch let us chug a little bit. Come on. Just let us chug a little just bit. Some ethanol, please. It has not killed anyone yet. Uh, so Bormer goes ahead and, and injects himself with this potential virus as Tokus just looks on extremely freaked out by the insane people he works with every day. My coworkers. <laughs> Uh, so we cut up to the rest of the gang upstairs with Anamarki. He's showing them footage of Kuze, uh, recorded 22 minutes prior. And this is when I realized, because he's wearing a white coat, he's the guy from the opening. Yep. Which, it took a bit to make the connection. I, 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 did, I didn't recognize him without the white coat. To be honest, that's all I remember of the guy in the opening is only in like two or three shots. It's like there's yeah. a dude in a white coat. I mean, Fair he's enough. there, Goda's there, and the Prime Minister's there, and those are the yep. other people, but yeah. And it's also a shot of other people who are in this episode. Very, very brief one. But, uh, so... Bob was like, where where was he? You know, where was he this whole time? He's just kind of been out of the spotlight. He tried to assassinate the Prime Minister, and then he just disappeared. disappeared. He vanished. He jumped into the woods at, like, 400 miles an hour. <laughs> yep. And so, Motoko muses, like, maybe since he didn't get a new prosthetic body, he had to, like, go somewhere to, like, heal and regenerate. And so the chief's like, I'm sending you all to Nagasaki. You have to try and catch him. This is top priority. You know, you need to try to kill the prime minister, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, back down with the hacking crew. Uh, Togusa is like, hey, hey, Borma, how, how are you doing after injecting yourself with a virus, buddy? And he just doesn't respond or, or seem to notice at all. And they're like, oh, shit. So Ishikawa comes over and is like, okay, we're going to do a full shutdown. They lift up his hacking harness and they're like, hey, 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 Borma, you, you cool, you buddy? You doing okay, bro? You cool, buddy? Uh, eventually he's like, oh, yeah, 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 you're, you're fine, guys. I'm good. It's fine. All Sorry, I was reeling at how badly that essay was written. Yes. <laughs> he's like, oh, my God, I found an undergraduate essay from a first-year student and you would not believe how much red pen I had to use. So nothing interesting in that file. Um, so the other group and, uh, one of the Tachikomas are boarding the helicraft. The Major starts talking about, uh, like they're assuming that the factor responsible for triggering, triggering the individual 11 must be in Kuze's head as well. Like, like, they're assuming it's in the external memories they have, but they're also like, it, you know, Kuze must be affected by yeah, this. Yeah, we cross-reference. So, yeah, everybody who's done individual 11 stuff probably has some sort of virus, this virus in their head. Yeah. So she's basically for. being like... Don't destroy his head, but Cypher points out, you know, we can snipe him, but those PKF models are pretty indestructible and you really do have to shoot them in the head. They basically them. call him immortal and that yeah. his body, like, can act independently, even if it's dismembered. Yeah, Kuze has some sort of, like, military cyborg body, so, like, it doesn't break down as easily as other people's and can apparently repair itself. They never really get into it, but, yeah, he has a good body. It's messed up. So Basil's like, well, I'll just take my big fuck-off knife and decapitate him if I need to. And the Major's like, well, that's sadistic. Bit much, dude. There's a so really, she's like, really happy. Yeah, there's a really weird shot of him, like, looking at the, his reflection in the knife. And it's like, dude, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I'm trying to be edgelord here. 
I never get to enjoy work. Absolutely. (laughs) So, you know, back to the hackers, since Borma seems okay, and Shikawa's like, well, clearly the virus doesn't manifest simply by downloading this file, and Borma's like, yeah, there, there must be some other factor involved that then, like, starts the virus off. It's basically just in there doing nothing until something yeah. else happens and triggers it. Uh, so the chief walks in, it's like, how's it going? And they're like, uh, not great. Uh, they start talking about how Goda is guilty as heck. I like how Goda hasn't appeared in he any of He hasn't shown episodes, up in any of these episodes at all. And yet they're blaming him for everything that happens. <laughs> are, <laughs> like are they, they wrong? Know. <laughs> it's, it's clearly him, though. It's absolutely him, and it's just... Re- I just found it really funny. He doesn't show up at all, but his hands are in every single yep. pie here. Yo, He's the big bot, big bad guy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For sure. And they also... Ishikawa talks about how he's clearly the type of person who loves to tell people how smart and cool their evil master plan is, but yeah, they don't like, actually have any proof. It's like he partitioned off that secret network on like the European spy satellite and then left the big sign saying, I'm here, it's me. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> na, 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 na. Um, so Bormer's like, hey, I really wish we could get our hands on an original copy of that Individual Eleven essay. And Tokusa says that no one has ever found, you know, ever found like, a, the actual There's original There's no copy. copies on the net, despite like, their searching. We haven't found it in any of our investigations. I checked the first three pages of Google searches. It's not existent. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> I forget to mention, I actually guessed a plot, uh, major plot point in this episode pretty early on, and I was very pleased with myself. So when, when we get there. to that plot point, uh, I'll talk about it. But uh, see, so yeah, Aramaki's like, okay, Tokusa... Go find a print copy. You're really good at that. Go do detective stuff. (laughs) You did that during the Laughing Man case. Go find a real book. We don't know what those look like here. You're the only person here that's okay with being in a warehouse for five days looking at printed copies of shit. So get out there. (laughs) Yeah, also you're the only one who knows the Dewey Decimal System. So get at it. (laughs) So Borman and Shikawa State do more analysis on uh, Kawashima's external memories. Uh, we now cut to somewhere outside. We pan down this big memorial with, with lots of names listed and some incense burning. So this I think might be the memorial from first season. From yes, first it season? is. It's the ah, war memorial. Good yeah. catch. So yeah, it's very, yeah, it's a war memorial and it's got all these names on it. And then some long haired dude in a black trench coat just stomps down violently on the incense. <laughs> And another guy in a black track shirt comes up and is like, hey, don't waste your anger. Save it for we're, what we're going to do. And Every one of these guys talks in the funniest way possible, and I love it so much. I think it's like two voice actresses trying to be different for different dudes in the <laughs> scene that so don't matter. And it's so perfect because yeah. they, are, they have this beautiful air of posers that we're really going to get into. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the air of posers, oh my is, God. it's enhanced by the fact they're all wearing black trench coats and they all have swords with them. Of course. So. Yes. I'm going to call them And they're all the talking about the later. nasty man. <laughs> yeah, they talk about all the nasty man <laughs> shit they're doing. Oh, it's yeah. God, it's so fun. But we don't actually have to remember who any of these guys are, so don't worry about it. They're just yeah. they're just the nobodies. It's fine. Uh, they all walk off together from this uh, memorial. Uh, back on the helicraft, the AI ladies have lost track of Kuze. Uh, they think what happened was he was in a car and then he ditched it and sent it to autopilot while getting onto a cargo truck. So the surveillance followed the decoy car and didn't notice that he switched vehicles. He pulls into the most Jersey turnpike parking lot <laughs> I have ever seen. <laughs> like it's the surveillance footage and there's like a row of trucks that his car drives behind and there's this super sweet sh- like zoom in 
of like, first he's in the car and then it goes past the row of trucks and then he's not in it anymore. It's like a but McDonald's all I am thinking of is there. like, oh my god, there's a fucking Sunoco station like yeah. 50 feet away from this with a huge line of people going down the shore. It's fantastic. It's really also, good. Also, it's funny he ditches the car with AI. Hopefully that thing's better than like a Tesla because that would just burn up yeah. like five miles away. Oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, Someone's just like, hey, how about hacking the car and like back tracing? But apparently, when they tried to hack it, it disengaged. It turned its Wi Fi off. So she's like, damn, he's smarter than we think. So she orders him to. It turns its Wi Fi off and immediately loses Google Maps and (laughs) crashes into a tree. (laughs) Yes. And then it went over the median. Mm -hmm. Damn, this guy's good. So she's like, okay, track every truck that was in surveillance footage, find him. Uh, and Sight was like, well, what the heck do we do now? And the manager's like, okay, we go to uh, Kagoshima. To the war memorial. To the war memorial. And Bato was like, well, what if this is a trap? But the manager's like, mm, odds are extremely high that he's, he's gone to this war memorial. Uh, we now cut to Kuze. He is walking up some stairs. The top is revealed he's also at the War Memorial, and there are ten there men are in dark trench coats waiting for him. actually eleven. There's eleven I, It took a long-ass time to figure this out, because I spent the entire episode trying to count them. There are yes, eleven there are... guys in black. I, I only counted ten, but I only got a brief shot of Yeah, him. Yeah, there's so... eleven plus him to make twelve. Yep. Weird, that... Yeah, I thought it was like 11 in total, but yeah, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yep. And I'm sure him being the only one in white is Oh, no. no. <clears throat> so, Kuzi's like, is that everyone? And one guy's like, no one who shares in the individual will would be late. And we get some shots of a bunch of their faces. They're all carrying katanas. Uh, except they're all in dark trench coats apart from Kuze. Yeah, they're all cyberized, by the way. Yes, they're all cyborgs. Yes, all cyberized. But we don't actually remember who any of them are, so don't worry about it. I don't, yeah. I don't think any of them are named, to be honest. No, they do no. not. <laughs> all the individualists don't have names. The, all that matters is the actions they took, and even those really don't seem to matter that much. Yeah. <laughs> like, who did what? Not right now. So we now get some yeah. uh, sort of shots of a school. Our Togusa is meeting up with this very stereotypical professor-looking guy. He's oh, got this the guy, sweater vest. This guy has, like, 25 years of tenure, and he does not give a shit. All of his fucking no. TAs did the classes for him. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Uh, Would you like to see my elbow patch collection? <laughs> <laughs> I have great tweed vests. <laughs> so Toga says, like, I'm looking for an original copy. The professor's like, oh, that's just very rare. Only 20 copies were printed. It was written right before Sylvester died when he was getting involved with the Romanian Revolution. Giving a real air of authenticity to all this. <laughs> that a college professor knows And it. he's like, I don't want to give you my original copy. There are reprints readily available in any language. Uh, what Togus starts waxing a bit lyrical about it, and the press is like, ah, okay, I'll make an exception, you know, because of the chief. And he goes up to the bookshelf to look for his copy. Uh, the chief then, you know, uh, telepaths uh, Togusa, goes, how's it going? And Togusa's like, I'm amazed you know this crotchety old college professor. <laughs> and Aramak is just like, eh, it pays to know everybody in this business. Yeah, it's really funny, because like, yeah, I know this guy's eccentric, just deal with him. <laughs> And then suddenly the professor's like, well, that's, that's odd. 
Where, where is this book? I never take it from this room. It's always in this place on the shelf. He, it's strange. this very definite, like, he knows that he owns this book, but he also has not actually thought about this book in a long time. Yeah. Mm. This, just, this but, is but it's uh, always there. Why, why is it not here? How weird. As an aside, I like how this episode does this because yes. the college professor here, not knowing where the book is, that's reasonable. He's a college professor. He probably has no idea what the fuck's in his office anyway, so. But it also, like, just really starts it's for picture. Yeah. Um, so we're now on uh, a road and there is a black truck being driven by one of the uh, individual 11 members and Kuze is sitting in the passenger seat. Uh, the other nobodies are all in the back and they're starting to brag about what they've done for the cause. Uh, this includes the stabbing of the assemblyman, the hacking of the TV channel, the bombing of the age group and the NPO, uh, the murder of the NetMac president and the cyber rapper. And they were also the ones that leaked the uh, bluff of the refugees going to steal the nuclear fuel rods from the previous episode. Yeah, this is all the stuff we've seen before. They're just yeah, taking like all the crimes that were being followed up, all of these nasty men did it. And yes. they explained their crimes with like this level of glee that is just so wonderful. Like, well... it's It's like... It's like middle schoolers talking about, like, breaking a TV in a backyard. Yes, one-upsmanship. <laughs> like, everyone was like, oh, well, I didn't do anything as, as silly as assassinating one random guy, but I did leak stories about nuclear fuel rods. They are particularly impressed at the rapper's death and the uh, nuclear fuel yes. rods. They yeah. love that shit. They're like, oh, yeah, that was that was the good shit right there. Yeah, they're talking about the rapper's death. It's like, yeah, all well, the refugees looked up to that guy. And it's like, what are they going to do now? You know, you stole their hope. <laughs> that was awesome. And so they ask Kuze, what did you do? And he's like, I tried to assassinate the prime minister. And it's like, oh, that's cool. But you didn't hear anything about that. And uh... it's very clear that this is all for clout. <laughs> Except they did real serious murder crimes and terrorisms. <laughs> Gotta get those followers on Instagram by assassinating the prime minister. Basically. <laughs> FBI, please don't follow me. <laughs> In Minecraft. I mean, Kuzi's like, hey, you keep talking about, you know, this being for refugee liberation, but kind of just seems to be nothing more than giving them despair. So, you know, why are you doing this stuff? Sure seems like all you're trying to do is make it everything horrible for them forever, huh? And so one of the nobodies is like, we're giving them independence by severing their support from traitors to our state and their own comrades. This is the most effective method of forcing the citizens to realize the refugees are intruders. At this yeah. point, the ghost of Ayn Rand takes the wheel and drives them <laughs> off a, the guardrail. Yeah, they're trying to be accelerationist by making the conditions worse. The refugees will then rebel faster and not depend on the state as yeah. like yeah. hanger-ons, I guess. Sure, why not? It's fucked up. Yeah. Okay, so you're back with the hacker group. Former's like, hey, have you guys actually read this guy's essays? You know, I haven't read any of them. Uh, Anishikawa and Aramaki both say that they've read everything except uh, the individual level. I, I love this because Boma's like, yeah, I didn't do the homework. D did you guys do the <laughs> summer reading? He didn't yes. need to. He was a field agent, you know? Yeah. And so Ishikawa's like, well, I don't think many people have read all his works. You know, it's many years ago now. But Bomber's like, well, clearly Kawashima did. And, you know, Ishikawa's like, yeah, he did. And he also, you know, uploaded it to his external memory and he clearly memorized it all. 
So, hey, maybe the essay is the thing that causes maybe the virus. all the essays. Mm. Yeah, it should be noted. Like they said earlier that like there was 10 essays printed that everybody can find on the internet. But the individual 11, the 11th essay is really super hard to find. And that's the one that Boma put in his brain. But he didn't read any of the previous ones. Yep. So. Hmm. So Ishikawa's like, babies, gather up all the files on uh, Sylvester's works. Pour them into my head. <laughs> I, I love the UI for this because it shows him dragging and dropping these essays to presumably his <laughs> yes, brain. it's so good. <laughs> it's like, I wish I could just read books like that. Just drag him into my brain and know them. <laughs> Does he, do you think he knows that he can like press a keyboard key and select all of them and just put all of no, them No, he's, he's really about the tactile feel, you know. <laughs> One at a time. Right click. Yeah, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, so back of the major, what the other baby that's with her tells her they found Kuze and he's at the War Memorial Tower, so they set course for it. Uh, now with Togusa, he is leaving the big library that Aoi was in last season and he struck out there too. There they also no, don't have the copy. No, they also don't have a copy of this. The kid whose whole life is dedicated to preserving physical works. I love that the chief is like, I know these two libraries, go to them. If they don't have it, well, we're fucked. <laughs> yeah, basically. But like, there are there any other libraries? No. Maybe not. So Ishikawa and Aramaki are like, well, it's not there, come back. Uh, you, you ain't doing shit out there. But Toka says like, there's one more place I want to check and then I will come back to the office. Um, so back in Hacking Central, babies have finished compiling all the essays, and, you know, Ishikawa's gonna download it all to Boma, and he's gonna, like, put them in his brain and see if it triggers the virus, which is a great idea. Yo, okay, so you hit me with this baseball bat, (laughs) while the other guy takes a golf club to me, and we'll see how long I can stand on this table. Boma, before you do that, disconnect from Wi-Fi, please. (laughs) I heard one guy took a hit of this, and he can't, he can only taste salt now. That's all. Forever. <laughs> in the nobody's truck, they start talking about who's going to make the final speech, and they all argue over who's the most qualified to do it. It's not really important. Uh, Kuji's like, I don't really care which one of you do it, but uh, I, I need a favor. Could someone show me your copy of the Individual Eleven, and especially a first edition copy? And like the one dude who was like the guy who killed the cyber rapper goes like, Well, of course I have it right. Mm. I have it right. Mine is certainly a first edition. <laughs> <laughs> it should be also noted that Kuze uh, said that he planned on taking his copy of it today, but he couldn't he's, find yes, it before he's about he left. To say it. Yeah, yeah, that he he wanted to bring it, but he looked and couldn't find it. Somebody lend well, me someone your lend copy. a man his copy of the most brilliant Bible. And so they all start to kind of pat themselves and look a little and look confused. really uncomfortable. Like, oh god, if the, if I don't have my i eleven copy, like these guys are gonna think I'm a poser. Yeah, but none of them have it. <laughs> none of them have it. But the driver interrupts a friend of us and half and says they're just about there. Uh, now Togusa out in the street entering a building. Someone comes running out in a panic. This guy sees Togusa, recognizes him, and goes, Ah, yeah, come, come with me, come with me. He takes him to a room where the journalist who knew too much from the episode with Kawashima in it is holding a knife to his own throat. It, it is a box cutter, like, spread way out, and it is, like, pressing into in. his neck yeah. with blood starting to dribble out. Also, as a note, uh, when the driver for the big baddie truck was saying that they're there, they were uh, there was a shot of, like, a big skyscraper. Yep. Yeah. Just for uh, continuity. In Hacker Central, Borma is putting the files into the brain when he puts one in. I can't remember the name of it. I believe it is the Individual Eleven essay specifically. 
and uh, suddenly he starts screaming and he starts having a fit. Uh, Ishikawa pulls up his harness and then lays him the fuck he, he's out. He's like, disconnect him, get him out, Tachikoma, shut oh. him down, and then he just fucking decks him. I mean, this is like when you need to like reboot your computer like instantly by pulling out the power cord, he just yes. punches yes. Boma with in the your face. buddy. Yeah. And so, yeah, he does the Tachikoma's keep him unconscious, flag that file, and lock it away. Uh, Aramaki's like, great, awesome. Found Put him it. the jackpot, baby. But he then gets a call from uh, the Home Affairs Ministry, his boss. Uh, and they put it up on the screen and it's a news broadcast of a rooftop where the individual 11 have all gathered. And it's the 12 of them all lined up on the roof. And uh, so Bato, the Major, uh, and Saito are at the memorial. And she calls them up and is like, no, 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 you actually need to get to the uh, Kyushu radio tower because that's where they are. And also the re-broadcast on national TV. Oops. And yeah, we get major... probably my favorite scene from the episode. Yeah, Major was too late to the War Memorial. They had already left and gone to that yeah. radio tower. So, uh, yeah, they, they're, the news is watching them on the roof. And the newscaster guy goes, swords! And they're swinging swords! And... Ah, their heads! They just chopped off each other's heads! It's yeah, so this is from a news funny. chopper, by the way, with, like, shaky cam footage because the chopper's flying around the top of the skyscraper. Of these dudes cutting off each other's heads on a helipad. Yeah. And, uh, so, yeah, they're all killing each other up on the roof. Uh, we cut away from most of it, seeing the Major's face reacting to this. But at the end of the broadcast, we see that Kuze chops off the last uh, dark trench coat guy's heads, and then he runs away. Rather than getting his head chopped off. So he is still alive. He gets away. I don't know where he runs away to. He's on the top of a skyscraper. I feel like there was some shit going on. Well, he can. He has the ups. He probably could have jumped to another skyscraper. He, he yeah. did yeah. just jump off the roof, for sure. <laughs> probably. That's fair. Uh, back in the other building with Togusa, he's trying to calm down the journalist. He asks about the essay, and the journalist is like, the essay is a fake. It never existed. This was all manufactured. Individual 11 is is a hoax. But then, he, you know, he screams, oh, I'm the Individual 11, because he's clearly, he clearly like yeah, gets taked, taken over at, before he starts spilling anymore. Mm-hmm. And he slits his own throat. Uh, Tokusa that rushes up to him, tries to stop the bleeding, calls for an ambulance, uh, and the last shot of the episode is the news broadcast of all the dead nobodies on the roof. Eleven people. (laughs) Sans Kuze. So, uh, I, I guessed pretty early in the episode that the essay was not real. Yeah. Uh, I turned, I turned to Rick and went, that essay doesn't exist, does it? Well, the original (laughs) essay written by that Patrick Sylvester guy is not real, but there is a file woven around by that name. But I was just like, you know, I, Togus has been sent out for this. I'm like, this doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> this, I think this essay isn't real. And I was like, yes, I was right. I felt good about that. They love, they love putting Togus on wild goose chases. Yeah. It's basically They're like, hey, job. can you yeah. go catch some geese? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, go get blown up by some super hacker and then we'll figure out what happened later. Good luck. Uh, it should also, like, as an aside thing, the people chopping off each other's heads is a reference to the May 15th thing that they talked about earlier yeah. episodes ago because yep. one yes. of the things is that uh, later on, I think they also tried to assassinate the prime minister again uh, back yes. in, like, 1930 or whatever. And as penance for this, like, after they got caught, a lot of the perpetrators just committed suicide. Yes, it was like a separate uprising, but like if you read basically anything about 1930s Japanese politics, like there's a lot of assassinations. They assassinated going on. people every other week. So yes, 
politics by assassination. Mm-hmm. Well, what about that speech? We never heard it. Who who did get to say? I, I feel like they speech. never got their chance. Now yeah. maybe yeah. we'll hear the speech in a future episode. Hmm. It's true. Kusei's alive. No, <laughs> it'll never happen. It's probably not important. No, no. <laughs> No, the individual, they said it's fake. Drop it, everybody. Move on. (laughs) Grow up. (laughs) We're all past that. It's over. After guys started cutting out their heads, it got a little too real for me. (laughs) It's a little passe at this point. It's a little on the nose, you know. A bunch of guys in trench coats with katanas. (laughs) I I love that you meet all the dudes who did all the crimes that they've been investigating, and they are just like the biggest forum posters in the world. It's so good. Yeah, it's like as opposed to, as opposed to the Laughing Man, where it was always up in the air, yeah. like who actually did what parts of it. Yeah. Like, was it a big thing? Instead, in season two, we have a bunch of fucking court jesters in the back of the van being like, "That was me, Lamau." Like, posting about it on Twitter as the authorities roll up. <laughs> hashtag Arby's. Hashtag assassinate the prime minister. Hashtag Minecraft. FBI, please don't follow us. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah we get uh, in minecraft in minecraft <laughs> we uh, get the plot rolling here of uh, kuze obviously has got some shit going down with regards to his role in the individual 11 but it's still mm. not clearly known what's happening and, also, but also he's clearly like clearly a little more aware yeah yes. like he, he suddenly realized wait a second does any does this actually exist like it's clear that he figured out that it didn't exist at yeah. about the same time and like yeah he didn't cut off his head so weirdly he, he ran he got away but the, so. the, i guess the question here is like obviously all the other guys plus the reporter guy plus uh, i guess boma particularly since they all downloaded those 11 files had the virus in them and were prepared to kill themselves mm-hmm. uh, obviously boma was unconscious so he couldn't but yeah kuze did not appear to be ready to kill himself it is so, a bit weird wonder what his status is regarding reading all those things is how much of a is, is he a true poser mm. <laughs> i'll be honest i i was thinking the way this was gonna play out was like he was gonna cut his own head off and it was gonna fall off a building but then he'd like show up later and be like yeah actually don't forget i'm like really good at getting my head cut off it just bothered me <laughs> that's <off."> my specialty <laughs> actually yeah 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 i mean i'm eminently destructible and i still come back so <laughs> deal or something <laughs> And Battle yeah. would be like cursing that he didn't get to decapitate Kuzay <laughs> with his big fuck off. A whole bunch of decapitations happened, and Bato had nothing to do with it. Bato's only got that like six inch Bowie knife. He's not going to be able to do much to a katana there. You got to get it's a true. bigger sword, Bato. <laughs> Steal the katana. Use it. I mean, there's now 11 of them up on that roof. Totally unused, one. yeah. For sale, katana used ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, right. didn't, uh, I didn't look to see what the next couple episodes are, but if I remember correctly, it goes into the plot a bit here. So This seems like the kind yeah. of place you'd want to go on for a little bit. Yeah. I'm wondering how long they're going to yeah. hide Gota from us. Mm. I think he shows up a bit more now. Um, Give us I'd the nasty so. man. Nasty man. Nasty man. <laughs> I also remember, I think this is where they get the recruits. Ooh, new characters. Yeah, they've been kind of alluding to the fact that they're trying to hire for a while now, so they do yeah. get some new people. I just love that Gota, like the entire last season, the, the quote unquote antagonist of the series was like at their best when they were just silent the entire time. Yeah. Like that was kind of their defining characteristic. And this time 
It's just like, no, please bring bring Gota back on screen and make him say things, <laughs> please, for <laughs> me, the audience. When even when he's I not there, it's guy. like, well, he's literally taunting us in this dead man's brain. Yep. <laughs> we hate that guy. God, we hate that guy. And I'm like, yeah, I hate that guy too. Hell bring him yeah. on. I love God, him. God, he he rocks. Yeah, he sucks so bad. <laughs> So next time it'll be episodes uh, 13, 14, 15? Those are the ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, because we're, uh, this is just another uh, full 26er, right? Yes. Yes, I believe so. Okay, sick, sick, sick. So not, hey, we need to, hey, everybody, we need to start thinking about movies. No. Oh, no. Mm. It's time to start thinking about movies. Well, next time we'll be getting into more of the plot of Ghost in the Shell. <laughs> so, uh. I'm going to erase that from later. my cyber brain tie. Space anime. Yeah, yeah. Go read some essays. <laughs> Forget about Adam Sandler for a minute. <laughs> Take easy, everybody. Space anime. Space anime.